Welcome to the Dave Chang Show, part of the Ringer Podcast Network, presented by Major Daniel Media. That song is Pass the Hatchet by the great band Yola Tango. And today we will be doing the last fifth installment of the Major Domo pre-opening diaries. We do it with Bill. We recorded this maybe a little over a couple months ago. What's strange is we started doing this in October of 2017 for the opening of the restaurant, which was January 2018. And um, we wanted to sort of have a some documentation of the sort of the crazy uh, cycle of the excitement of opening a restaurant to the total uh, pain and suffering of opening to the sort of the joys of making it work and having good reviews. And um, really, really hope that we're going to be able to get back into this, whether it's menu development, whether it's um, things that we're discovering about how to operate the restaurant, new ideas. For instance, a new idea that I want to sort of institute is, you know, there's a lot of data that we're not using in restaurants. I think I know that some people are, particularly like larger corporations and casinos, data on the employees. Um, but you know, you guys are listening to this on the on the ringer, so you're probably big sports fans. I'm a I'm a big sports fan. And I've been following uh, how data has changed sports from baseball to basketball uh, to golf, just about everything. And and how there was um, some resistance to using it at first, but I think that whoever figures out how to use data in restaurants is going to make a big, big, big splash. And what I love about baseball, obviously, is the fact that there's stats, right? Like if you want to be the best baseball player in the world, you know the metrics and you know the benchmarks that you're going to need to be as a pitcher or a hitter because it goes all the way back to like the late 19th century. And if you're a young cook today, you're still going to go through some many, many similar patterns and bottlenecks and uh, and trajectories of being a great cook, even a great chef. And part of that is just the judgment of how you cook, how you organize, how you make family meal, how you sharpen your knives, um, how you uh, help other people. Are you are you just like ready? Right? Like I think you can like break down. Uh, what you do into like several categories that are obviously going to be subjective. But if there's a scale that like many restaurants or uh, we can develop, and I, we've tried it in the past a few years ago uh, in terms of uh, rating how cooks do in specific tasks. Uh, but it's hard because you can collect the data, but it's really hard to to make use of it. But within that sort of framework, you know, we're, we're judging them on how to be successful. And I think one of the things that we can do is by simply giving them uh, like, a, like a simple grade, like one out of 10, and that is judged on how they did for the day on uh, their mise en place, which is essentially their, uh, which in French translates to everything in its place, which is the lifeblood of a restaurant. It is about how you are organized. It's about... Uh, prep, it's it's most of the day spent in a restaurant is getting your mise en place straight to, to cook for service, right? To family meal. Family meal to me is the most important meal of the day. If you can't cook beautiful food for your peers, you're not going to care for a paying guest. And what we want to institute at Major Domo is a very 
uh, I would say rudimentary basic system, something we tried at Momofuku Noodle Bar around nine, 10 years ago. But where I went wrong nine, 10 years ago was I didn't share the data with the cooks. And I think there's a lot of, a lot of power in that transparency. And quite frankly, I don't know if someone else is already doing this. I'm sure maybe like some giant corporation like Cheesecake Factory or Hillstones uh, is probably doing this. And um, one day we'll probably have to go deep into my infatuation with Hillstones. Uh, I do believe that's the best restaurant group in the country. Um, really, I, I, I genuinely believe people love that restaurant group and they know exactly how to operate a restaurant better than anyone else. Anyway. We're not a perfect restaurant. I think Major Domo is one of the best things I've ever worked on. I think it's the best restaurant maybe I've ever done in a long time. And um, it's far from perfect, but we're doing something special. I genuinely believe that. Part of the reason why I'm, 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 I want to make sure that we have the right culture is that we make sure that our guests are happy. Um, we're making great food. And most importantly, the cooks there are excited. They're they're surrounded by um, people that are pushing them to be better and have a high level of accountability, right? Um, that's the best kind of experience when you're having fun because you're doing excellent work. I don't give a shit what kind of job you're in. That That's infectious wherever you are. One of the reasons why I, I, I care so much about this, uh, about not just culture and winning, is that... Um, so much of our business is dependent on reviews and good criticism um, and positive feedback. If you listen to the previous podcast uh, where I talk about my own sort of mental issues, uh, I am hung up a lot on the, the idea of criticism. Um, but criticism is something that I live with and we've spoken about quite a bit already in the pod uh, with Ryan Johnson, Karina Longworth, and it's something we talk a couple times in, in, in this podcast, but I'm still figuring out how to deal with it. And one of the reasons why I love Hillstones as a restaurant is that they're never reviewed. They're, they're in many major metropolitan cities, San Francisco, LA, and they make great food, food that I love and food that many other people love. And they are never really reviewed. The reviews that matter to them the most are the fact that their customers come back time and time again. They have so much repeat business. Again, I'm one of their repeat customers because wherever you are in America, they make food that is incredibly delicious. It's not overly complicated. And there's a idea of like, um, you're going to get something great. And I'm talking about them because I wish I could get to a place where uh, it doesn't matter what the fuck you do, uh, you're still going to be busy. Um, I'm really at a point in my life where if we get more awards, great. But if we don't, um, I, I don't really care about it too much. Um, I want to, I'm telling you guys this, I want us to get to a place where we don't give a fucking shit about the reviews. Um, that would be my dream. And I want to get back to cooking that is just nourishing. Like that is really important to me. Um, anyway. I could talk forever about this. Uh, I will um, I will shut up now and let you guys hear volume five of the pre-opening diaries and I uh, hope you enjoy it. Without further ado, here it goes.
This is Dave Chang. This is episode five of the the pre-opening diaries. Pre-opening diaries of Major Domo, and a lot's happened, right? So. Most of the reviews have come in, um, and the review process is easily one of the most stressful, uh, horrible things that can happen to restaurants and chefs. Um, and we've gone through, I'd say, like maybe like 80% of them. Let's, let's go with that first. So here's what I know is, this is Bill, by the way. This is the last time I'm on. After this, I'm out. <laughs> I'm never coming on again. Now you have all your celebrities. I'll come on every once in a while. But then all your celebrities and food people. I need you. All that stuff. We needed me for these first five. But um, the critics, all we know, all people like me know about the critics is what we saw in Burnt with Bradley Cooper, your least favorite food movie, (laughs) where they're just in constant fear. The critic's going to show up. And then when the critic does show up, everybody, it's like it now becomes game seven of the NBA finals. How close is that to what it's actually like? Um, Not at all. The movie Burn is not an accurate portrayal of of it at all. Okay. Uh, at least in my experience, uh, um, you know, it's it's a different ball game now because most of the critics you can spot. Yeah, um, it's really embarrassing for a restaurant if you can't spot the critics now. Um, Are there tips other than knowing what they look like? Do they do little? No, I mean little tricks. Some are better than others. Um, for instance, I think Pete Wells is pretty good at like making it just seems like he's a he's a regular customer. He's of the New York Times, um, but just about everyone else you you can catch. But like I think we missed. I think I it wouldn't be surprising if you missed a critic or like a Pete Wells, um, Jonathan Gold here in L.A. I think is different just because like he's such an iconic figure um, and he's very recognizable. So it would be hard. Um, but a lot of critics for major news publications, there's photos of, and you know, but they're never, for the most part, they still give anonymous names for reservations or they just walk in. Um, for people that are like the Michelin Guide, you literally have no idea who these guides, who these people are. It could but be anybody. could be anyone, but that's not in LA. So like, there's just so many layers of criticism for a restaurant, depending on where you're at. Um, New York is its own thing. LA is its own thing. Cities in Austin and Dallas is its own thing. All over the world, it's 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 unique to itself. So I've been learning the LA market, and um, it's different. So what's been different about it? Why is LA different than New York? It's the the process is the same, right? Okay. Let's just say this: critic comes in the restaurant, and we recognize him or her. Um, you immediately like let everyone know. Um, so you tell everybody in the staff. Well, we try to practice, right? But here's the thing: you want to practice people, but you also want them to know. Um, it's like two minute offense, right? Yeah. You, you practice it and you know, what's going to happen, but you also want it to be to the point where every day you're practicing it. So you're never worried about it. And simultaneously, we've done this thing for like every table, some random person gets the money piece. So we make sure that every person in our company or in the restaurant is imagining that that person is some, like some uh, VIP guest and they have to like, like we're trying to test things out to see how they're going to react to certain things. Is this why you made me keep coming into the restaurant? You're a perfect example. It could be anyone. I think you've been in like three or four times, right? Like anyone that three comes or in. Four. It's you've eight. been in there eight. But eight. Like, what are you talking three, about? Well, I have I the three to four times you were like considered like like table X or whatever it was. Yep. And we sort of game plan around that. We test it out. We we see how a cook might react to saying like, hey, like fire two of these. Do this, do this. And um, try to recreate sort of like a game game day scenario about what yeah. that might feel like. 
But you don't want to do that too much because you want to make sure that every customer is basically getting the same thing. And as much as you want to do that, at least in my experience, it's never as true as that statement is, right? Because this, the critic is going to alter so much. Just having them there screws up everything. What's right? your Nothing's wor- normal anymore. What's your worst experience with a critic being in with a staff member either melting down or just choking under pressure without saying who the staff member was? Do you have like a horror story? Yeah. One time, <laughs> one time I remember at Noodle Bar years and years ago, I was leaving lunch because um, I was feeling really ill. And uh, lunch ended at like three o'clock and I was going to walk out at like 2.40. And I lived like across the street. So I was going to take a quick nap and come back for dinner service. And right when I was about to leave through the bottom gate uh, 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 in the basement, I saw Ruth Reichel come in. And um, she was eating with Doc Willoughby, who was of, of gourmet. And I think another person, I was like, fuck. I Can you like tell shit. the listeners who Ruth is? Ruth um, is, was the editor of gourmet. And she was, I think, um, not think, there was uh, Mimi as well. But she was arguably one of the most famous, most popular food critics of the New York Times. Um, and she changed the game how restaurants were reviewed. She's super, super important. And I've gotten to know her really well over the years. And before that, I, I just admired her tremendously. And Gourmet was, and probably is still, the best magazine that's ever been made about food. Um, and Ruth was this just giant food person titan. And I didn't think she would come to a restaurant like mine. And I was like, fuck, I'm feeling like crap. So once I saw her, I went back downstairs and... And that was it, right? Like, it was game on. And, and I think she was, like, the first time, like, a big critic came in. And you just make everything, and you just, that's it. It's like, you do your best, and, and that's it. And over the years, we've cooked for so many different ones. But there was one, one other occasion I can think of where the food was late, right? Uh. And that was a real problem. Because... Um, stresses people out to know that like a dish might alter the course of your life, right? For the cook, for the, for the service of it all. And to be able to train your staff not to be nervous about that, that's yeah. really hard. Um, Cause they can sense it. I know the critics can sense that the restaurant changes because of them. Um, you think they like that power or they I don't try think not they think like about that it at all, but they got to do their job. Yeah. And we try very hard not to worry about it. Right. So, um, I, I like to think we've had really good reviews over the, over the years. And there've been times where, um, I mean, we've only had one period where it was like a, a bad review. And obviously, we talked about that. Yeah. We talked about episode. that, but like the, the, the feeling of the server, I think is, is, is really intense. But if you're in a closed kitchen or an open kitchen, when a, a critic is in there, it's like, it's really, it's really hardcore, at least for me. Right. And I remember being as a cook, when I worked for Marco Conor and Tom Colicchio at Kraft, when William Grimes of the New York Times uh, was com- comes in. So they usually come three to four times, depending. At least the New York Times does. And so does, so does L- LA. I think Jonathan Gold came in three times. Um, and I don't know. Like, I don't know what Bill Addison looks like. And I don't know what these other guys look like. So they might have come in several times. I, I don't know. Um, but I remember back in 2001 or 2000 when William Grimes came in. It was the first time. I experienced that. And I remember looking at like the whole kitchen changing its dynamic. It became incredibly intense. Not that it wasn't intense, but it's like, it's almost, 
if I can ex- describe to the listeners, it's like, um, we have to score a touchdown to win the game. Yeah. That kind of pressure, right? Yeah. It's, it's a very different thing. And you can't simulate it. It has to be there. And this is why you practice your mise en place, which is like French term for everything in its place. That's why you're, you have such a regimented system. So when you are in a difficult situation, you can be cool, calm, and collected. That's like the name of the game. You don't want to stress out. You just want to be like, I'm going to murder this. We're going to score. We're going to kill them. And that's the same feeling that I've, I learned really early on. It's like, do your job and Belichick. make sure everything's right. This is all Belichick It's, all Belich- stuff. it's very Belichick. All roads lead back to Belichick. And, um, and, and where you can fire twice, two doubles, you do, right? But not to the point where you're going to ruin service around you. Because mo- most importantly, you want to make sure that the tables around the critic and the restaurant energy as a whole are, is, is very like in a good place. So you can't focus everything on the critic and not worry about everyone else too. And that makes it really hard. So where you can fire twice, you do. Um, at least that's what I've always learned. And when we did that, I was like, oh my God, we're firing twice for everyone. And it's not because you're hoping one is better than the other. You want to taste exactly what they're eating too, simultaneously. So you're just sticking your fork in the critic's No, food you make, you make two dishes and then... Um, you bring them to the pass, which is where the food gets assembled and then they go. Right. And then you decide, Oh, that one looks better. They're both the same dish. Yeah. And, and, and then you take it out and then you look at the dish that's there and you taste it to make sure that you know exactly what they're going through too. Interesting. Um, just to, like a mental note to like where it's at and you keep a log of everything that was ordered, who they wore, the reservation name, all that stuff. Do so you- we have like, Books, basically a book on all the critics that's ever eaten at all the restaurants. Really? Yeah. All the like tendencies. A scouting report. Yeah, I could, I could tell you what I believe are the scouting report on each and every critic because, like, I have that. But like, do some talking. of them drink? How many of them like will have a glass of wine? Some or? people get in there. Yeah. Oh, they get in yeah, there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They tie it on. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. It's probably good for you guys. <laughs> You want them to have a good time, right? But yeah. at the same time, you never know, right? I remember cooking for Frank Bruni once. And I gave him a dish. Um, I, I think it was our shaved foie um, at Co. And he's sitting right in front of me. And I'm so nervous because this dish was like, I poured everything into this dish. And he ate like half of it. And, I, and, then, and that was it. And I'm like, fuck. And I kept on thinking like, man, he hated it. He hated it. Yeah. But he wound up like loving it. So you, these guys are really good. They're like trained assassins. Trained assassins to like keep their emotions in check. But for the most part, you want to know exactly what they're ordering. You want to see if they've ordered something um, doubles, right? That's always an important thing. And and you sort of have an idea if they've come in multiple times where they might order next. But like you still don't know, right? It's it's you're at the 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 mercy of what the critic wants. And and I think it's important for me to remind myself that they're not judging it as a critic. They're trying to judge it as objectively as possible. As a, as a diner, right? They're a defender for the diner, not for themselves. Um, and obviously they need to have a lead and make it like interesting and some kind of angle to talk about. So what I do before we even get the critics, before even the restaurants happen, and I don't know if we even spoke about this in the previous pods, I like to tell everyone like, hey, w- what would a good review look like? What would a bad review look like? And then not just a review for the person that reads the LA Times or the New York Times, what would a foodie that, that looks at the blogs, not just Yelp, but there's all these other like, you know, blog boy sites. Like, yeah. I love the blog. You're wearing the blog boy shirt. Yeah. But the food blogs, they're 
like they started off with Egullet and now they're they're just I don't even know the names. There's so many of them. And and those would I would call like hardcore foodies. And they eat out and they know food sometimes better than the critic. And then you just have the average person that wants to have a good time. They don't care too much about it. They're an occasional fan. So like you want to see like what they might feel about the food and 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 reverse engineer it. So all that being in mind, like when the critic's there, you you just hopefully don't don't lose your shit. So do you go out and say hello to them, or was there? How did you handle that over the years? Initially, you probably stayed away, right? No, there's. It's always been a Chinese wall. Always. Not always. All right. I think in Europe, I think it's a little bit different. But in New York Times, um, it's always professional, right? It's like, so you don't come out and say like, "Hey, Bob." No. Great to see you. Never. Never, never. Because, like, I, I mean, I want to sometimes, but, like, it doesn't happen. You just what don't if, do it. What if you look up and the guy's just staring you down from his table, hoping well, for, like, the eye, the nod slash I mean, head shake? I want to. Yeah. I would love to go out and be like, what the fuck sometimes. Um, <laughs> I heard a story about a very famous chef who a restaurant critic dined. It's a four-star New York Times restaurant, three mission stars in New York. And someone came in on, uh, one of the critics came in on New Year's, I don't know, Christmas Eve. And they were open. And he came out to them and says, oh, like he recognized, was like, this game is on now, right? Like, yeah. And I was, I always thought that was like amazing. That was- Was it Daniel Balloon? No, no, no. Won't, won't name the <laughs> chef, but they came in and they basically was like, challenge, man. Like, we're going to give it. We're going to bring it. Yeah. And we're going to win. That sounds like something you would do. I know. I know. He kind of stole, stole your move. I can't do the move. Well, he's way cooler, so. Do you remember the first great review you've gotten and who wrote it? I remember the first review was Robin Raisfeld and Rob Patronite of the New York Times. Before that, it was like the, the East Village newspaper. But that was a review that said like the beginning of Noodle Bar and it was a New York mag. And I was so embarrassed about what we were doing. I refused to let them even print my name. Really? <laughs> yeah. Because I was just, I was a kid. I didn't know anything. And I i was so embarrassed about what we were doing. I did not want to embarrass anyone that I work for. And then um, we got some. Was it complimentary? Yeah. I mean, it was, it was, a, it was a fine review. But um, the first review we had that was like a legitimate review was when Peter Meehan, uh, who we later became partners in, in business, um, wrote for the New York Times 25 and under. And that was an amazing column. Peter was easily probably the, the best writer at the time or one of for food. <clears throat> and he wrote a review that I think helped encapsulate what was happening. And we had just turned a corner yeah. um, in business and we were not just, uh, we were like, we, f- we were beginning to figure it out. And that was a review. And I remember going to um, one of the co-owners of a restaurant called Casamono. And she said, you know, Dave, this review is going to like, it's going to change your life a little bit. And it was very hard for me to understand that. Did you feel like it did? No. Cause like every day felt like you're drowning. And then, yeah. and then you have all these other reviews that come in. And I mean, <clears throat> when Frank Bruni reviewed Sambar, um, that was a game changer. We had no idea. Right. Um, and he gave us two stars and the three star review. Um, that was, I mean, we had a, a relationship with Frank Bruni because he reviewed us. Not relationship. I never even spoke to him. Um, but he would come in so much 
that you just were always, every day you thought a critic was coming around that time. So you just have a heightened sense of like, it's on always. And whenever critics in, you want to get to a place, you hope that the whole team is like, it's a big deal. Who fucking cares? That's what you want. You're like, whatever. Can you explain the stars to me? Um, it depends. Because it seems like there's different things, right? There's yeah, no- I mean, like, it, they're all arbitrary, right? The Michelin Guide is, just being listed in the Michelin Guide is considered an honor, but one star is great, two stars is amazing, three stars is best of the best of the best. Um, so three stars is like, three stars in you general, won the Academy Award or you're just nominated for it? No, it's, like all, it's, it's not like that. It's not, it's not like that. Um, New York Times has a star system. LA Times has no star system. Um, which I like quite a bit. Um, Cause I don't like the star system. Well, I mean, it's important for people to understand like what they might be getting into. And I think the, it's the important vi- for people to read, <laughs> How about this? read the review. Why does it need to have a star? I don't like stars. Neither do I. Imagine but- if we started sp- like when we watch basketball, it'd be like Bradley Beal, three out of four stars for last night. Like, no, we would actually watch the game and what, I you this is this should be we should get some critics in here and you should talk to them about the no star I think system. it's too arbitrary. And if you're gonna do stars, make it from one to ten. Don't do from like one to three or one through one to four. It should be like a boxing round. This See is now, a, this now is a big debate. Now your brain now your brain's going. This is the second time I've gotten your brain going today. The first time when I was raving about <laughs> lobster bisque and you got competitive. I'll show you some lobster bisque. The reviews are tough. At the end of the day, right? Because yeah. you want your team to not worry about it. You want your front of the house staff to not worry about it. But of it. course they're going to worry about it. That's not realistic. But yes and no. I've never been in a kitchen in my experience where the crew was like, big fucking deal. Yeah. We always get a good review. It's a measurement of like, you know, where you're at. Like if you feel like you can execute it and it's not like nothing's out of the norm, that's that's a fantastic place to be. Um, so... Yeah, I, I would I would I would say I could I mean it's so hard to talk about the reviewing system and getting reviewed in a coherent way because there's so many different kinds of reviews. Right? You gotta be worried about you gotta be worried about Yelpers, you gotta be worried about independent bloggers, you gotta be worried about the 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 weekly city publication, you gotta worry about the weekly uh, magazine, you gotta worry about the national publications and all the blogs. It's it's a lot and it's incredibly stressful. Uh, it has been for me, and I know it from for many of my peers. It's it's not that enjoyable, right? And I've seen the converse of it in Australia. I think that's a pretty enlightened system. And originally, I thought it was a bad system. Yeah, where most of the restaurants get reviewed every year. Every review is a review of that restaurant for that year, and they only go in once, which sucks. Right. But that's I see so that makes more sense to me because it might be a restaurant where the chef who created it was there all the time and then eventually passed it off and went to another place. Yeah. I and mean, I the, want to know year four of that restaurant. There's it no still was good. perfect way to review a restaurant. Um, so, you know, and now you have the top 50 and all of that insane nonsense at times, right? Which is the, the probably the most popular awards for a certain kind of restaurant and certain kind of cooking. You have the Michelin guide. Um, I think Joe House has figured it out. I'll the just belly follow. sourcing and just how hung, how hungry and delicious it was. He, Joe House takes it, it to the basics. It can't be too Was much. this delicious or was this not delicious? I, I, I also agree. He that. has no stars. He's just like, <laughs> did I love eating this or not? 
Well, you know, it was funny waiting for the reviews for Major Domo because, and I think you're smart enough and weathered enough by the process now to know there's going to be this set of narratives that unfold, right? You're going to have the first wave of the narrative and then the second wave and then the counter wave, especially if the restaurant's good. So the first wave is like, this is great. Wow. Awesome, LA. This restaurant, wow, do we need this? And then the second one comes in and goes, this is really great. You don't understand. This place is awesome. This is the restaurant of the year. And then that leaves the door open for the third review, which is like, settle down, everybody. It's not that great. And that's the cycle. And it's the cycle with movies. It's the cycle with restaurants, whatever you want. And it's a cycle with customers too. And it's hard, right? It's it's so difficult to be able to tell a guest, um, thank you for coming. We're really thankful that we've gotten great press. And we want this to be the best meal of your life. But like that's out that that's gonna be really hard. <laughs> right? Like right. you don't wanna you don't wanna let them down. But well, especially if they've waited in, three hours or they've waited three months to eat. They plan their birthday dinner three months from now and table of eight, and this is gonna be the highlight of their year. It's and you really live up to that. It's really hard. So that's that's a tall order. And you know, it bums me out when someone doesn't have a great experience. Um, you know, the we just got reviewed today in GQ magazine and and Brett Martin, who I know Brett Martin's right? kid. Brett Martin's an amazing writer. And um we we spent a week in Japan together with Aziz and and James Murphy for this crazy piece way back when. But like he was there, he came in, I recognized him and I didn't know. It was more like I dropped off one of the dishes and I was like, here you go. Thank you very much. And it was like very weird, right? You don't, you need to do the what's up dude, stand up, (laughs) three-step handshake, hug. You want to, but you can't, I understand that they're trying to do their jobs and they want to, I, I, the critic at its most base level wants to reserve the right to eviscerate you, <laughs> right? They just want to do that. Well, that's always going to be the most read review they have. Nobody's going to remember the glowing review. They're not gonna that remember they will, the, but like but if they're they gonna have remember them in the back of their head, they're going to allow themselves to be as objective as possible, right? I think that's really the hard part. Yes, it's subjective, which is like, you know, it's just a review, but. By the way, that's a really, even for somebody like me over the years, it's a really hard thing to keep once you start crossing paths with people that you're writing about and talking about. And it's been like, I, I found it, especially with the Celtics is my favorite team. I got to know a lot of people on the team or like behind the scenes of the team. And then in the mid two thousands, I really thought they had a bad coach, Doc Rivers. And I started ripping them. <laughs> you still rip and Doc Rivers. <laughs> I still, well, I've, I've been right. But, uh, but it was it was super awkward and it made things really uncomfortable with people I had relationships with. And I had to make the choice, do I want to sacrifice this kind of genuine piece that I feel like is important in the writing to maintain these relationships or write genuine stuff and hope that they understand? And for me, the the where I landed was I have to stay genuine. I can't jeopardize that. I, I can see but, other people. I mean, people- you're a good journalist and I think the that – most of the, I mean, I'd say all these journalists are good journalists or they would have gotten these jobs and they want to maintain the ability to fucking mow you down yeah. if, in the, if you need to. I feel really good about what we've done over the years. We've had way more positive reviews than negative reviews, but it never gets easier. And um, I worry, I worried so much about the review process here for Major Domo because like, it's so hard to read, right? I remember reading when John George got a bad review for V Steakhouse and he got fucking 
pummeled in 2004. It opened up in the Time Warner Center. And he recreated the modern-day steakhouse, and he got eviscerated. I kind of enjoyed that place. I never never was there. I had a friend that worked there, but I never went there, and people just savaged him. And I remember reading something about how he didn't leave bed for like a, a, a week, or he was just depressed. And it's really hard. I think there needs to be some nuance to understand how a critic can actually be wrong. I, I think it's important for a critic, if they're going to try to be as objective as possible, if things are going on in your life, right? Like, let's just say if my father passed away, everyone would understand my work might suffer. Yeah. Right? Like, if something horrible happened to a critic, or if they're in a really bad mood, is that going to affect their work? Of course it would. And I don't know how you're able to, like, talk about that, because at some point they're human, too. I think what strikes me about food criticism is just the incredible weight that the critics have. I don't. I think it's disproportionate to any other form of writing. It really is. But I mean, less I, and less so, right? No, when, but it's still there's still four is, reviews that matter the most to you, right? There are reviews are more important than ever before, but to a testament to the internet and to the democratization of reviewing, there used to only be one or two, and. For instance, in New York Times, when I got that craft review, um, I literally <clears throat> like got the review, and that was a make or break. It literally would make or break your restaurant. Yeah, that was way more powerful then than it is now because now you have everyone can can review a restaurant. It's not so you feel the cacophony of the noise. It's makes a lot more now, stuff but less important. It's, it's 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 not better or worse, but um, man. I, I just feeling that pressure then, I was like, oh my God, our, this restaurant's future is in the hands of how delicious this food is for William Grimes. Um, and then once, once the internet hit, and it, and it took a couple of years for people to understand that like, you could like, find other reviews, um, then it started to flatten out. And now it's, it's less as important. And in a weird way, like I remember reading something about art history because I don't know anything about art. Or like pop art, because I still have a hard time understanding why certain things are so valuable. And they said some, I can't remember who wrote it, but they said pop art became pop art when the critic was no longer able to determine the value of a painting. Right? It was now the the, the audience at large or who, who the public at large. In some way, I think we're like in this weird place where the public can now determine the fate of, and success of a restaurant without one person dictating it. And that's a good and bad thing, right? Um, book reviews, I'm just going through in my head, like when I read book reviews, I just take them with an entire salt shaker because it's a writer writing about another writer. I just fundamentally, that's weird. It'd be like if Kevin Durant said, here's my 2000 word review of Giannis Antetokounmpo. <laughs> I'd be like, that's weird. That's what your rival, you right. shouldn't review him. Um, I think with uh, with movie critics, who I think have lost a lot of kind of the sway and power that they used to have, but sometimes they'll hit in a big way. Like Wesley wrote about, Wesley Morris wrote about three billboards in December. And this was when I was getting a lot of Oscar buzz and nobody had written the, Hey, wait a second. This movie's kind of a self parody. And he eviscerated it in a really smart way. And I do feel like it kind of changed the Oscar narrative of that movie. <laughs> it really did. I think it was going to win the Oscar and then he planted seeds of doubt in their head. So it does well, Because happen. of his review, I refused to watch it. Right. <laughs> 
<laughs> I, I think some people they're like, fuck that movie. Um, but and that can so happen I in restaurants they, too, right? right. And, and and we're all human. Um, but there's a lot to talk about food criticism because it's the one form of criticism that you're basing it on a completely subjective experience. My meal at this restaurant, which is why you hope the critic will eat there three to four times. But even still, right? Like if I go see the theater, if I go see Hamilton, for instance, like that's going to be made in a movie or like you can document that. Yeah. Right? And there's more than one person that has experienced the exact same thing. Same thing with books and music. Um, so the restaurant is this weird thing where it's so temporary and it has to be judged by something that is like subjective. Um, I don't know how that plays out because I don't know of any other sort of creative endeavor or craft that is like judged in this weird, weird little vacuum. Puss geared toward everybody's tastes with food are a little different. Like Greater Cho, our friend, when we ate at your restaurant two weeks ago, and he's just like, the fries are the fucking best, man. They're the best fucking thing in the menu. This is it. You should just promote the fries. Well, I think that's just how Greater Cho feels. <laughs> that doesn't mean it's a great opinion. By the way, the fries are unbelievable. So, I mean, this is going to sound insane, like I've been doing too many drugs now, but um, I don't think it's a Rotten Tomatoes kind of score, which is what I was thinking last year as Yelp would be. I think you have to take a composite of everything. And now I think if like restaurant reviews 20 years ago were like um, uh, like a mirror image painting, right? Like a perfect uh, rendition, rendition uh, replication of the, 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 like of nature. Um, now like restaurant reviews of a restaurant create like a cubist multi-perspective type thing. And you have to sort of keep that all in mind. And it's hard. It takes a lot of time. Um, well, I think the weirdest thing about this latest batch of things was to Jonathan Gold, who we mentioned before, he wrote in the review, he has a whole paragraph about that you guys have had a relationship, but then also he's really, he said he was furious at you because you got rid of Lucky Peach and he prefaced his review with that, which just as a reader and somebody who's worked in, you know, who's run two websites and I read that, I'm like, he's basically admitting that he's mad at the person he's reviewing. This is going to be weird. And it was a really cryptic, weird review that went a lot of different directions. Yeah. I um, think there's some Da Vinci code stuff in there and it's a incredibly well-written review. It was really well-written and, and hard to kind of decipher. It's simultaneously a positive review and simultaneously a negative review. Yeah. And I think there's a lot of inside baseball in there, which I won't go into, but it's, this is the world we live in right now where it's harder to be able to be objective about something, particularly with the relationships. And um, I include myself, by the way. I'm not objective. <laughs> what bothered me, if there was something that I could pick a bone with, is that he didn't talk about how awesome the staffs or the sta- our staff is, ugh, how awesome our staff is, our wine program, and our service. And maybe he didn't like it. But I don't think it should be. I, that's where I I might disagree. I think we got great service and the ambiance and all these things that everyone works so hard on. So you know maybe his it got edited out, but <clears throat> I feel really good about that. Okay. Let's take a quick break to hear from our sponsor ZipRecruiter. 
Every business needs to hire great people, especially in my world of the restaurant industry. It's incredibly difficult to find good people. And one of the best that we've used over the years is ZipRecruiter. ZipRecruiter knew there was a smarter way, so they built a platform that finds the right job candidates for you. They learn what you're looking for, identify the right people with the right experience, and invite them to apply for your job. These invitations have revolutionized how you find your next hire. In fact, 80% of employers who post a job on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate through the site in just one day. And ZipRecruiter doesn't stop there. They even spotlight the strongest applications you receive, so you never miss a great match. The right candidate is out there. ZipRecruiter is how you find them. Businesses of all sizes trust ZipRecruiter for their hiring needs, including my own. Right now, many listeners can try ZipRecruiter for free. That's right, for free. Just go to ZipRecruiter.com slash Chang, C-H-A-N-G. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash Chang. ZipRecruiter.com slash Chang. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. What narrative, when you read narratives about you, it's the typical shit, right? Like from a few years ago, stretch too thin, trying to do too much, too adventurous. Now, now it seems like the narratives are, He's back. It's a wiser, more mature. Mid-career malaise is over. It's all these fucking covert centers. So annoying. Um, does that stuff even bother you? Um, I don't know. I mean. Because you've been working hard the whole time. It's not like it's like you yeah. tore your ACL and you had to well, switch teams. Well, I think teams. what's weird is I've been in the sort of the food public eye for 14 years, over 14 years. And it's a lot. For yeah. people, um, think there. My my belief is that there would be a lot of people if they just wish that I would disappear forever. Right? Um, <laughs> you definitely feel that in L.A. <laughs> so <laughs> some of the L.A. restaurant owners, I think, would um, root for that. It's strange to be able to have so much of your persona be documented in the press. Yeah, not because like. I don't even understand how to describe it. It's been very weird. Some people get it. Some people don't. But to find valid, I think the tricky slope is to be able to find validation in in the press, right? And sometimes whatever a writer writes or a clipping is definitely how when I hear like KD talk about the press, it's like, dude, you don't fucking know me. And yeah. other times you're like, wait, how the fuck they get that right? Yeah. And it's it's a give and take. Um it's a, it's it's very weird. So you try to not re- like read anything about yourself, but inevitably that's really hard. And you go down a slope sometimes of just total narcissism where you're like, oh shit, I just got to read more because I'm worried about something might be negative or super positive. But as a whole, I think the, the, the rule of thumb for me is that um, almost to believe I, I am a, like, I'm an imposter to keep it like honest and where I don't believe really anything, so I have short-term memory on anything that's like positively that's happened, and I almost remember everything that's negative. But as a whole, it sounds like we're wired very similarly. Yeah, it's the Italian-Korean <laughs> con- connection. It's just <laughs> never going to be as good as people think, and never as bad as people think. And I need to be reminded. That's like this take I need to have as well. It's somewhere in the middle, right? And what's hard is when people just are like, "I fucking hate this guy. It sucks." And I was like, "Wait a second. Yeah, I'm that way too. I've been that way. Like that fucking guy, that running back fumble. Fuck this guy. Yeah, hate him. I'm like, whoa. Like why? <laughs> it's a it's a slippery slope for the audience as well. But it's strange to be seen like that. 
What do you have a better? We talked about this in some of the earlier episodes, but now you live through it in the most vicious way possible because you were opening this restaurant, but you were also doing the Olympics thing for NBC, and you're also launching this company and doing all these things. But now you have a better idea of here's where I go on tilt if all of these things add up, and I know now I'm doing too many things. When do you? When did you learn the balance of that so that you weren't overextended? Because um, that's the biggest issue with all all successful chefs after a certain point. The opportunities don't stop yeah, and you I, can take too many of them. I think if this is going to make any sense, we're still doing a lot. Obviously, there's a very ambitious schedule over the next year, two years, three years. Part of this is growth doesn't have to be good for me. It has to be good for the company. And I, I always remind myself that it's like, what decision is good for you and good for the company and the many, many people that work for us? But part of it is when when things feel, felt like the wheels were falling off a little bit, it was basically because I thought that I could control it. Yeah. And you weren't delegating enough. And it's not that you weren't delegating, it's like you can. It's it's things are falling apart or the stress is there simply because you're stressed out about the stress when you should be thinking about positive solutions to answer the problems. Uh, this is good life advice. By yeah. Way. And, and cause I, I that's, totally that's agree how with I deal you. with it. It's like, things are not going to get slower. Yeah. Right. Slower is bad. And it's just about if things are going to continue to add up, it's, it's, you have to have a new way and a new system for, for dealing with it all. And if anything, I learned the hard way that, However, I process, however organized stuff wasn't going to work anymore. And, and that's it. It's just like whatever, <laughs> all the stuff that's happening, it's almost like uh, it's an opponent and they're the AI and they're going to get smarter and smarter and smarter. So we have to do things differently as well. And that's the way I approach it. And um, it doesn't mean like I have a solution. All I know is I want to make options for myself and the company that we do where we're not, it doesn't dwindle our options. I want to make decisions that make more options available, if that makes any sense. I'm finding this quote for you that I like, but as we're talking about this. So, um, yeah, I mean, I don't but know. You still, like, the, the thing I like about you just as a, as a creator is the most excited I've seen you is when you're in a restaurant and it's hopping and people are having a good time and you're just kind of searching the crowd, trying to see what the reactions are. Like that still seems like that's the number one thing for you. Well, like that's where my my wife gets really concerned about me because she she she's like you get in the state where you can't think about anything else. It's it's like she says like I agree with her for the most part. I'm not like special at anything, but if I get in a place where I can think about something, I can't get it out of my head. Right, and I think it's just been learned. Like there was that scene in Spy Game, great movie that. Um, doesn't get enough praise, I think. But there was yeah, a scene where it's the right amount of praise. We, we said it, we might have <laughs> we might have said this before in one of the pods, but um, <laughs> there's a scene where they go into that cafe and they're training the young Brad Pitt, who actually doesn't look young at all. Um, no, he's it's one of the prouds of the movie. <laughs> and the very old Robert Redford, who's yeah. not nearly young, he's either. 78 playing a 40 year old. <laughs> But they're in the cafe and they're telling him like, he's telling Brad Pitt, like all the things that are happening in a restaurant, if you just like observe. Yeah. And that's sort of what happens in the restaurant. I'm just in, in restaurants a lot. And when I get there, it's, 
It's the same thing. I'm sure when we did say this, when you're at a basketball game and you've been watching basketball a lot, you're highly attuned to things that you can't understand unless you're like watching a lot of basketball. Right. And that's basically it for me in the restaurant. It's like, I have special hearing or something. It's, it's simply that when I'm there, I feel like I can make a difference to make it better for the cooks, the, the diners and just for everyone. What's the next dish that I can Jedi mind trick you to start making after you've <laughs> successfully conquered French fries? That's a good question. Which, by the way, are, are super complicated. Yeah, I probably not, kind of ruined your life with the French fry thing. It's okay. It's okay. You spend like two days making them. It's it's not it's not a fun process, but we do it. They are really delicious. Um, I don't know, but that's a thing. I just got to just keep sending you challenges. I I'm excited where the restaurant's going. Um, we've tried. I think there has been a lot of, I would say maturity and growth because a lot of the things that I think, I feel like I've communicated over the years, I've gotten better at doing because it's not necessarily yelling or just screaming. And that's just how I used to do things. And I'm not, I have better tools, right? At my disposal. And that shit doesn't work anymore. But we have such a good nucleus that I feel like we're just trying to build around this more and more and more. You know, you don't, you still don't have kids though. No, that's my, that's, that's. When that's, you have a kid, you have like, I don't know, let's say two years, three years, whatever. That's going to be, that's like, it's like a torn ACL. You're just <laughs> not as fast. You're not as, not as fluid. I'm like at I'm 60. I'm excited for that I'm like though. 60%. I'm excited about that. Like my life is work right now. And it, it's, it's like not. Although my daughter doesn't hang out with me anymore. So maybe at like 70% now. <laughs> she's, she's in a room like texting friends. We don't see her anymore. The one thing we didn't really talk about yet is whether your notoriety has increased just walking around from the Today Show and the Netflix thing, and if that's been weird. Because you, you're at a different level of recognizability than you were four months ago when we started this, when we started the pre-opening diaries. Um, yeah, it's a little bit different. I would say that it's increased in New York City. Uh, you know, I'm probably spending two weeks a month or at least a week out of every month right now. And every time I'm there, it's very, I would say it's increased probably 30, 40%. Someone asking people like, Hey man, love the Netflix show. And I just don't want to come across as a jerk. It's really weird. It's it's not taxing. It's just very strange to me. It's never gotten like normal for me. There's someone to be like, Hey chef. And like, I'm like, what? (laughs) I'm always like, what? (laughs) Or like, Hey David. I'm like, if someone yells your name really loud, you're going to turn around. And and like, I'm going somewhere and it's, it's so hard. You want to be nice, but they're like, dude, let's take a photo. I'm like, I'm on a call, man. Like I right. can't, like now I wear the AirPod things and people are like, I'm like, dude, no, really, I'm on a call. I can't talk to you and do this and take a photo. And I would really like to. And they're like, fucking jerk. And I'm like, fuck. I think it was like, <laughs> I think George Clooney said, somebody said like, you are the person you are by the time you're like 29. And if you become famous before that, it becomes arrested. But after 29, you can look at this normally. So I think for somebody like you or even somebody like me, when I started doing uh, the the NBA show those two years, we're always going to be that person who nobody gave a shit about or, or knew or recognized or anything. We're just that person. But when somebody says, hey, Dave... You, you're just confused for a second. Yeah. How does this person know me? I'm constantly, I'm 48 years old. I'm constantly confused when somebody says, hey, Bill. I'm like, what? What did, did, <laughs> what did I do? Am I, am I in trouble? <laughs> it's like, oh. It's really strange. Yeah, it's, I don't want. It's not normal. I don't want it to ever be normal. 
you know, and um, I try I my best to just keep my hat on and and do my thing. Um, and LA is a very different thing because you're in your car a lot, but the restaurant, it's been all, it puts me in a bad mood sometimes. And I feel like a, I joke that I'm like a Disney character at Epcot Center. The restaurant. Where I feel like I'm yeah. just taking photos. Um, and it sucks because I want to be the facilitator for them to have the best meal, best experience possible. At the same time, like if I'm working and shit's going on and it's stressful. I admire the chefs or people that can be in restaurants and do both and have a happy face. You know, I'll, I'll give you one instance. It's happened more and more is like where the restaurant is in Major Domo, like that we have a pass. They have two passes, one for the large formats and the carts and it's the main entryway. And that's where you usually find me because I can, I'm, I'm not that far away from the expediter that, uh, by the way, uh, uh, Tejal Rayo, oh fuck, I just butchered her name. She wrote an amazing article in the New York Times about expediting. Um, but I can talk to whoever's expediting and I can work with like three or four people behind the wall pretty effectively um, and the large format station. And I'm there, I'm right there. And like, there's the bar and there's like, like there's no wall preventing a customer from coming into the, <laughs> the, the kitchen. Right. And it's happening more and more. And I have, um, I've been, Unfortunately, yelling at some customers when they've been walking in. Tell them to get that I just I'm like, dude, what the fuck are you doing? <laughs> and they're like, what do you mean? I'm like, I'm only getting upset simply because it's shocked that a random person just walks into the kitchen. And I'm like, whoa, number one. Number two, how come no one stopped them? But yeah. most importantly, it's safety. Like, that's a very dangerous place to be with all the hot food coming in and out for themselves and for And it's the probably staff. a health violation. I just, I don't know what to do. I don't know how to train myself to be like, hey, thanks for coming into the Get back the of the kitchen. Here. Um, we can talk about this later, but could you please leave? It's more like, whoa, what the fuck are you doing yeah. here? It's like walking into yeah. the cockpit on a plane. Yeah, it's so hey, crazy. I'm just like, what the fuck? <laughs> and like, when I say what the fuck, it's definitely there on, it's on their mind too. It's like, wow, he just like got mad at me. I'm like, please don't take it personal. I'm just saying, don't. Don't walk into the kitchen. I know it's over kitchen. Um, <laughs> speaking of forward, this podcast, um, the pre-opening diaries are done. But this isn't really the podcast. This was no, no. This was an. Uh, but this I don't was know if people understand how like so much of what I do is like a very organic thing, which means like we have no fucking idea. We're just gonna see how it works out. And Bill and the whole team at the Ringer ha have been amazing hosts to allow us to figure this whole thing out and this relationship out. And one of the things I wanted to do first and foremost, which we'll figure out how to do it uh, moving forward, was to begin this process to, to strip away all the bullshit and just sell transparency from what we're doing at the restaurant and each and every restaurant, not just myself or anyone in this business, and like just tell the guests this is what's happening. So the goal would be like, hey, you're going down to restaurant X. This is what's going on with the, with the team, the chef. This is what's on the menu right now. These are some of the stories behind it. You know, have a listen when you're on the Uber ride down to any kind of restaurant. That would be, that's sort of the goal for me to have is. That's one goal. That's one, not the only one goal. of the goals. And that was yeah. sort of this idea, which I don't know if we've actually accomplished because it's been all sorts of stuff with the open dialogues, but opening, <laughs> pre-opening diaries. Um, and I think there's a lot there, but it's something I want to continue to explore some more. But Well, the pre-opening diaries is basically like, I'm fascinated by what your life is like. And we use me as the proxy to just be like, what's it like to be a chef? What's it like to get reviewed? What's it like to put together a staff? What's it like to launch a restaurant? We try to answer all that shit. From this point on, the podcast is going to be a 
a celebration of food, yeah. um, an explanation for the inner workings behind stuff. Like you become fascinated by some dish in Koreatown and you try to find everything out about it. You have the chef on and you just deep dive. It's going to be basically your passionate guy and your deep dives on different things crossed with conversations with people in your life. And we're going to mix it up and um, you're just going to be you. That, that's, that's and occasionally Joe House will be on. House. <laughs> and he'll be hungry. But yeah, that's it. If, uh, you know, you have a lot of opinions on a lot of food topics and you're fascinated by a lot of people. Yep. And that's where this is going. So I'm out. This is, I was on for these first five and I'm done. This is now your, your feed. Very exciting times. Thank you, Bill. No, thank you. No, thank you. <laughs> thank you for the fries that yes. you took off the menu. No, no, no. They'll be back on. But to anyone listening, you know, this is something that I promise we'll get better at. I'll get better at. This is a, a new new endeavor for sure. This pod will keep you on your toes, people. It's not just going to be my podcast. I, I think we're going to have, we'll, we'll share with you that as it all happens. Um, yeah, there's a lot. I, I'm excited and, and um, I can't wait to read all the criticism. <laughs> <laughs> Let's end there. Thanks for having me on these five episodes. <laughs> <laughs>